0: I'm taking you off the air. I think you're having a breakdown. Require treatment.
1: This is not a psychotic episode. This is a cleansing moment of clarity. I'm imbued, Max. I'm imbued with some special spirit. It's not a religious feeling at all. It's a... ...shocking eruption of great electrical energy. I feel vivid and flashing as if suddenly I'd been plugged into some great electromagnetic field. I feel connected to all living things, to flowers, birds, all the animals of the world. And even to some great unseen living force what I think the Hindus call prana. But it is not a breakdown. I've never felt more orderly in my life. It is a shattering and beautiful sensation. It is the exalted flow of the space-time continuum, save that it is spaceless and timeless. and of oh, such loveliness. I feel... On the verge of some great, ultimate truth. And you will not take me off the air for now or for any other spaceless time. Oh, boy. Is he okay? He's just fainted. i better get him back to my house again tonight. Help me get him up.
2: Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the alternate current radio network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com and also over there uh, at iTunes after the show uh, for our podcasting community. Uh, you can download it there. And uh, after the show, uh, hopefully within a few minutes, we'll have the uh, the speaker API uh, ready for episode 173 download as well. And a uh, great segment with uh, Kavork Almazian, a brilliant guest, uh, one of the best uh, we've had, I think, in terms of uh, overall analysis. Um, he is absolutely on top of all the issues uh, from the onset of this uh, situation in Syria till the present day. Uh, a great resource. I do recommend his reports. And the uh, Amnesty International report, which uh, we included in our Amnesty post for Fake Newsweek, Uh, earlier in the week. And there's another Amnesty uh, International fake news uh, report uh, authored by Rick Sterling, uh, originally published in the American Herald Tribune uh, only a few days ago. Uh, But that is up on Fake News Week as well. A great uh, example of how Amnesty International managed to fabricate uh, this uh, very sensational report, uh, which everyone in Hollywood loves. uh, Because, you know, people in Hollywood... Uh, who are behind Amnesty International? They rarely, they rarely look and question what comes from these organizations like Human Rights Watch, like Amnesty. And the reason is, is because those charities uh, pay money, or they have certain celebrities as their patrons. And when they are on board as a patron, then the celebrity becomes the face of the organization. Like uh, Am- Angelina Jolie, for instance, is the patron of a number of charities. I don't know, maybe Save the Children. I'm not sure which, which ones they are. Maybe it's Amnesty International. Human Rights Watch had Vanessa Redgrave and uh, Alan Rickman and many others. And those are all good people, um and they are very well-meaning uh, activists I'm sure as celebrities but very few of them are aware of the shenanigans that these organizations are pulling behind the scenes specifically with a country like Syria and this conflict and I do implore those people who are patrons or know people who are patrons of Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch and these types of organizations to go and look a little bit closer and do a little bit more homework uh, into what they've been producing and putting out in, in terms of war propaganda that dovetails exactly with the statements and the policy and the propaganda being parroted by the U.S. State Department, by the British Foreign Office, uh, by, by our friends in Brussels, and others. And know also that on the boards of some of these charities that are producing fake news, to promote the wars of for, for humanitarian intervention, whether it be in Libya, whether it be in Syria, whether it be in Uganda, Coney 2012. And now the latest one, the latest one is in uh, South Sudan. Okay, so I've seen George Clooney, and he's got this new foundation called the Century Project. And uh, you just do have to do a little bit of digging to see who's behind it, and uh, you see it's the usual suspects. Okay, George Clooney's latest crusade, he's gallivanting around doing documentary films uh, for regime change, basically. So the new one is South Sudan, so apparently there's another genocide going on, this time in South Sudan. Okay. It used to be called Sudan. And then, after uh, a, a copious amount of covert activity by the CIA uh, and others, they managed to partition that country in 2010. Okay. And the reason they partitioned that country, that country, Sudan, so you have Sudan is in the north and South Sudan is the bottom half now. Two countries. Before 2010, one country. Okay. The reason was is, according to my investigation, and I knew this years ago, I wrote about it and spoke about it, was that uh, the U.S. launched something called U.S. AFRICOM. This is African Command and Control. And this is based, they tried to get a base on the African continent. This is to have basically the equivalent of CENTCOM in Africa. CENTCOM is Central Command, which is based in the, client state of Qatar, okay, in Doha, just two miles down the road from Al Jazeera's headquarters is U.S. Central Command, okay, so that's to direct the war effort and the destabilization and the whatever else they do uh, around the Middle East in Iraq and Syria and so forth, in Afghanistan, all done out of Qatar, so they wanted to have a base like this down in Africa, okay. And so George Bush, they've been planning Africom for a decade, okay. But George Bush signed it and rolled it out in 2007, one year before he left the presidency. And of course, if you think about George Bush is the quarterback, okay, and the wide receiver was none other than Barack Hussein Obama. And so uh, Bush, uh, Obama ran down the field, and Bush threw uh, a nice pass, flat pass. Uh, uh, on the sidelines uh, to Barack Hussein Obama, who then took that ball and ran it for a massive touchdown. In other words, before George Bush signed the U.S. AFRICOM directive, the United States did not have a military footprint in the continent of Africa. Now think about that for a minute. Okay, We had a couple of uh, temporary missions. I think there was one in Egypt, uh, in the Sinai, that's a international peacekeeping uh, operation. I think we had some kind of a footprint in Morocco as well. And and there was something, another one as well that I can't recall. So maybe a few uh, very minor, small uh, footprints, installations, and uh, way stations, let's say, uh, for the U.S. military uh, in Africa. Minor, okay. Af- now we have a military installations and operations in 43 African countries, maybe more. But, you know, there's not many more before that. That's every single African country. Okay, so if you read U.S. AFRICOM's documents when they first launched, which I did, and which the, uh, I believe that report is no longer available on from their website. It's been taken down. But when you read AFRICOM, you'll see... It specifically states that one of the objectives of this directive is to mitigate or reduce Chinese influence on the continent of Africa. And lo and behold, in South Sudan, China had uh, substantial investments uh, in the oil sector and and other things. But mainly they're developing oil uh, in South Sudan. And so by partitioning the country, they cut off pipeline access to the ocean along the coast just over the horn of africa there okay total geopolitics total strategy and by the way the one country that opposed africom having a african massive us military central command operation the one african country that opposed that was guess who libya Think about that for a minute. Right before the fall of Libya, in the years preceding, Muammar Gaddafi led the resistance. And a lot of African countries got behind him in the the sort of the pan-African movement, unofficially you might call it. And look what happened to Muammar Gaddafi only a few years after. Immediately after, in fact. But you only have to ask the people of Mali or Burkina Faso uh, about AFRICOM and they'll tell you all you need to know or the people of Uganda all you need to know about that story so so here's South Sudan now and they're pumping it up as the next big genocide whatever And this term is just becoming meaningless but uh, go ahead and roll this this is from CNN last night this is a South Sudan package they ran go ahead and listen to this
1: now to the ongoing conflict in south sudan it's forced more than 1.5 million people to try to escape that country u.n officials warned the fighting could turn to genocide our Farai Savenzo shows us the difficult challenges that some refugees are up against there
0: a simple bridge separates south sudan's war from neighboring uganda's peace this is one of the largest refugee sites in the world, and they keep coming. They're fleeing targeted ethnic killings, forced recruitment of child soldiers, burnt villages, and rape as a weapon of war. This my house. My mom's house is here. Edina Tabu now has a new home in the town of Bidibidi in Uganda. Three months ago, armed men entered her house in South Sudan, demanding food and much, much more. Hers is a difficult story, but she wants to share it. He go and ask my father, do you agree to rape your daughter? Father said, no, you leave my daughter. Because I've lost five children, you have seen also their graves are here. Soldiers killed Dina's father in front of her. The UN is now talking of genocide, and the serious concern is that this could turn into another Rwanda, where genocide occurred as the world did nothing. South
3: Sudan stands on the brink of an all-out ethnic civil war, which quite frankly, can destabilize the entire region.
0: Five years ago, the future seemed brighter for Africa's youngest nation, after achieving independence. But a power struggle, followed by more violence, resulted in burned villages and thousands of deaths. A peace deal broke down in 2016, and a UN Security Resolution failed to impose an arms embargo. Many wonder now if the new U.S. administration will prioritize this war-torn nation. In the meantime, it is nations like Uganda who are welcoming refugees from South Sudan, giving them land and the right to work. The gamble of their lives is over. Signs of normality and joy have returned to these refugees. But the old know only too well the fear they have left behind. Okay.
2: Okay, that, my friends, that is with a a very beefy South African British voice, the rape, the genocide. Okay, that is a propaganda piece. That's a geopolitical propaganda package run by CNN. Okay, if you follow the narrative there. Oh, and and the, the refugees fleeing to the safe haven of Uganda. Let's talk about Uganda for a minute. Okay, and let's just put you, let's just clue our listeners in on the game here. And this is a fascinating game being played uh, in this part of Africa by the United States. If you remember in 2012, there was something called Kony 2012. Okay. This was the kind of the white helmets of Africa kind of story. All right. So they put this, they, they edited this very slick film and they pushed it around to schools and uh, they managed to con, they managed to fraud and con children school children in the united states to give up all of their 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 piggy banks and empty them and give them to this charity called invisible children that was a f- basically producing propaganda films that ha- just so happened coincidentally to dovetail uh, with the africom agenda in africa okay this is barack obama at the height of his fame okay now, Coney 2012 saying we need to find this Joseph Coney. This is like the this is like the black Bin Laden, running running in, in mayhem in, in in the jungles of Africa. Right? They can't find him, and uh, so they made this film so that school children might lobby the president of the United States to go and find and capture Joseph Coney, who's impressing children into being child soldiers. Okay, that was the narrative, multi million dollar project run by this uh, so-called charity that had links to the uh, ecumenical uh, church there and uh, Liberty University uh, and so forth, okay? And looked to me like it kind of obvious CIA front, okay? So, Coney 2012, the film comes out. It's all the rage. You know, everyone loves it on CNN, of course, and all the Council on Foreign Relations crowds are all crowing about it, loving it, you know? Money's flowing in, so they managed to con everybody. And uh, these children actually got to lobby President Obama, okay? And so Obama signs, I believe, an executive order, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, around 2012, to uh, deploy 200 U.S. Special Forces and support personnel to Uganda. So it worked. But while this was all happening... The head of this charity, the front man for this Coney Twenty Twelve, Jason Russell, born again Christian, or maybe he was always born, but so he had a nervous breakdown, and he ran around the streets of San Diego naked in the middle of traffic, and the whole thing collapsed at that point. And and then I look, I looked into this story, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. So what are they trying to cover up here? And what it, how it, what it turned out is that. Uh, Joseph Kony, no one had seen him for six years. I mean, all, in all likelihood, he's dead. He was uh, leading some sort of a resistance. I think he was ex-Ugandan military who basically formed a rebel faction who was uh, basically against the government of Yarar Museveni. Now, Museveni came in after the notorious Idi Amin. Okay, And Museveni came in to- with total backing by the West. He was the darling of the West, best friends of the Obamas. You can see a picture of him with Museveni and his wife and Michelle Obama and Barack, all happy campers at the White House. Okay? This guy being photographed, who's best friends with our ex-president, and was also friends with the Bushes, and was on good terms with the Clintons. They loved him, and so did the Queen and everybody else. Okay? They all loved Museveni. Museveni was a... Talk about a brutal dictator, basically has declared himself president for life from 1986 until now. And the last guy that ran against him, they charged they charged the opposition candidate with like a hundred crimes and threw him in prison during the election so that he, he couldn't campaign. Okay, that's Obama's buddy. That's who Obama sent our troops, American troops, to go and help. was this guy? And what did this guy do? Museveni. So this whole Coney thing was a cover. This is in the lead up to the partitioning of Sudan. This is all connected. Okay. So they were going over there doing recon. The cover was there were a film outfit and there were activists. Okay. But it it, it probably covered a lot of covert um, activity at the time when they were producing this film in 2009, 2010. Okay? Right before the partition of Sudan. Okay, it's so very interesting. And what did Museveni do? So for the last 20, 25 years, he took the Acholi people in the north of Uganda, forced them in to uh, these fabricated refugee camps, all done with the blessing of the international community, and they died. He committed a, what's called a perfect genocide, or a uh, a brilliant genocide. There's a documentary made about this, uh, which came out recently. It was aired on RT. okay. It was a you know, incredible story. So this guy has been getting away with murder, literally, ethnically cleansing, committing genocide against opposition tribes in his country in order to stay in power and to further a crisis, uh, that will cons- further consolidate his power as, as a, in a police state in Africa. And why are we why are we deploying troops there? Why? A brilliant genocide is the name of the documentary. This is this film is more powerful, and yet they, they've nominated the white helmets for an Oscar award this month, which is a total piece of propaganda garbage, quite frankly. And yet this film is powerful. And it, the people giving testimony in this film, you will never forget it when you see it. You will never forget it. And it goes to show you the level of deception, of the, the level of fake news being churned out of Washington, D.C. and being parroted by the likes of MSNBC, CNN, all of the mainstream networks pushing this Joseph Coney fiction, unquestioning, and yet here we are, and we find out the fact that was all a f- was a facade to cover, and the re- one of the reasons they wanted to keep Museveni in power as well, so they can control Uganda and that border with South Sudan. And you see the refugees flowing into Uganda now from South Sudan. And then George Clooney's over, making uh, this uh, documentary about the corruption of the evil government in South Sudan. Why doesn't George Clooney make a documentary about the genocide, the real genocide committed by Obama's best buddy, Museveni, in Uganda? It's just as bad as Rwanda. The only difference was in Rwanda, people had television images and, You know, photographs of guys running around with machetes, slaughtering people. But in Uganda, the international community and the aid community did it by herding them into these dysentery infected uh, refugee camps and using them as human shields between government forces and Kony, Kony rebels who were going after the government forces. Guess what Museveni did? He put his forces in the middle of the refugee camps. And used the people surrounding them as human shields. And they took the brunt of it. And they were seen as as pro-government. And so they became victims in that civil conflict. And they died by the thousands each week. Over the course of 20 years. A slow, brilliant genocide. Done with the full blessing of the United States of America. And successive presidents. Including America's first black president. Barack Hussein Obama who's smiling with Museveni in the White House. That photograph makes my stomach turn after I found out what really happened in Uganda. So we want to talk about fake news. Let's talk about that. You want to make some documentaries about the people of Africa? Do something for the people of Uganda, okay? And not because of Kony, but because of the pro-U.S. government is doing there. It's unbelievable. So, a little message to uh, our friend George Clooney, who's trying to do a high-profile, high-budget White Helmets documentary film, I think, or or a drama. They they want to make celebrities out of them. They're so desperate to lionize these frauds, these propaganda pieces. They're trying to rewrite history of what's happened in Syria over the last five or six years. They're trying to pave it over with a Yellow brick road of Hollywood lies, is what's happening. It is unbelievable. So here we. So so then I go to uh, who else have we got here? This is this is interesting. So here's Jen Psaki. If you remember, Jen Psaki was the U.S. State Department spokesperson under Barack Obama. And so they they're trying to they found employment gainful employment for some of these useless bureaucrats like uh, uh, Maria Harf. Who basically, so Jen Psaki and Maria Harf, before John Kirby took over the lying pulpit at the U.S. State Department with uh, Mark, Mark Toner isn't, isn't as bad as, as the others. He only has to lie half the time. He seems to have a conscience. But uh, So Jen Psaki and Maria Harf told lies about the Ukraine and Syria, especially the Ukraine, continuously. And so Maria Harf, CIA spokesperson, put into the CIA, put into the State Department. Now she's a Fox News uh, contributor. So the CIA have their person in Fox now. Um, Interesting revolving door there. So here's Jen Psaki on one of the, uh, I think it was one of the CNN programs, uh, talking about how horrible, you know, the, the Trump administration is that, that the people working for donald trump have to go and lie for the president i mean it's just rich hearing this from this woman who basically her job was to lie for obama about the the coup and the fraud of u.s uh intervention in the ukraine but here's this pisaki clip listen to this it's amazing
0: you used to have this old saying he'd say when he was the chief of staff which was the fish rots at the head and so what that means is a lot of this blame is being placed on staff. Maybe they deserve some, maybe they don't. But ultimately, the decisions about whether to communicate accurate information, false information, to push storylines, come from Donald Trump. And we've seen that from the campaign trail.
2: What did you think of that yeah. interview? Okay, so so by that logic, um, all the lies that Jen Psaki was pushing out about the Ukraine, about Crimea, about Syria, uh, were... They, they they must have come from Barack Obama, according to her own words, because that according to her that's how the White House is set up, right? Amazing. Go back and look at some of Jen Psaki's highlights. Just put her in YouTube. Put Jen Psaki lies or propaganda, Ukraine, Syria, whatever. It's just a highlight reel. It's um it's, it's unreal, highly entertaining. Uh, only just, but uh, so it, it's amazing how they're. They're now turning their uh, sights on old Trumpster, and they're accusing this administration of just, oh, my God, what, uh, uh, egregious violations of, of, of the truth, the codes of the truth. And here's John Bennett, who's the editor of the editorial page at The New York Times. And let me tell you, no no one working at The New York Times um, has anything to say to us about what's true in reporting, and yet they do it so this is brian stetler i think or i'm not sure who who's Yeah, cnn's brian stetler is whatever his media show every sunday morning here's uh okay trump new york times well i'm not sure which clip this is but listen to it go ahead and roll this
3: trump, new york times. To, to have a president who tweets that all negative polls are fake news i mean i, I look it's terribly worrisome to me um I think, to and should be to a lot of Americans, when the very idea of truth is under assault like this. And you feel like it is? Yeah. I mean, The very I idea of the, truth. Yes. <laughs> Dan, I heard Dan Pfeiffer laughing. Dan, what's your take on that? I don't want that tweet about polls to get lost because I think it's part of okay. the foundation of the House.
2: So, 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 so there's the New York Times, basically, and CNN sitting there like a couple of uh, Girl Scouts um, saying that uh, it's, it's horrifying the truth is under attack. You know, so these are the same people that put out and they're complaining that Donald Trump is accusing all polls of being fake news. These are the same two networks, newspaper and network that teamed up and put out the most deceptive polls through the entire election, especially during the general election. Completely fake, totally skewed sampling, totally weighted. They had their thumbs on the scale for Hillary the whole time. And now they're crying and they're lecturing us about the dangers of the Trump administration who's fostering distrust in our democratic polling systems. It's a joke, okay? First of all, whether that's true or not is beside the point. The What I think the main point is, is if we're a democracy that's ruled by every poll that comes out every five minutes, and these polls are proven time and time again to be, on the whole, quite worthless in terms of delivering real insight into what really matters, and even during election, completely fabricated in many cases. Then if there were no polls at all, would we be worse off or would we be better off in terms of election polling, okay, or public approval polling? Who knows? Maybe better off. Okay, the point is, you can take it or leave it. Polls are polls. You can agree or not. But the, the, that is not the gospel of the Lord when the polls come out from Gallup, okay, or Rasputin or whoever. Rasputin, <laughs> Rasmussen, Freudian slip. Look, so we run polls at 21 Wire for our readers and listeners, like our shout poll, which we're running right now, about which are the worst Uh, fake news sources uh, in the mainstream media. That's a great poll. You can click on that now. Okay. But we're not telling you what to think. That's just your chance. See, we do more than they do because our polls, you can vote and you can comment and you can engage and share. And none of those other polls, you can do that. You see, so actually we're a step ahead of the mainstream media there. Once again, so and then what else have we got here? This is interesting. So Bill O'Reilly, the leprechaun, was interviewing from Fox. There was interviewing Donald Trump about something about Putin, and this was hugely controversial in the week. But you know, this is the thing. It's the Daily Trump. So it's, what's news on Wednesday is you know is not news. This it's it's gone again. It's it's gone down the ether. And so it's the Daily Trump basically. So here's the Daily Trump. It's Bill O'Reilly baited Trump into saying something nice. Or or, to avoiding uh, condemning Vladimir Putin, go ahead and roll this Trump O'Reilly.
1: Do you respect Putin? I do respect him. Do you? Why? I, well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with him. He's a leader of his country. Uh, I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. And if Russia helps us in the fight against ISIS, which is a major fight, and islamic terrorism all over the world, right. major fight, that's a good thing. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. He's a killer, I don't. Don't. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. we got a lot of killers. Why you think our country's so innocent? You think our country's so innocent? I don't know of any government leaders that are killers. In the well, America. take a look at what we've done, too. We've made a lot of mistakes. I've been against the war in Iraq from the beginning. Yeah, mistakes are different then. A lot of mistakes, okay, but a lot of people were killed. So, a lot of All killers right. around, believe me.
2: Well, you know, you, you, you can say what you want about Donald Trump, Okay. You can, you can argue and debate about whether he is this or that or, like, some liberals, the next Hitler and so forth, okay? But when is the last time you've heard a president or any leader, for that matter, in the U.S. say such a thing as what you just heard there, clearly being baited into a position by a media operative uh, in order to compromise or make him look bad, and he came out and threw it right back at his face and said, hey— so, first of all, if I was Trump, I would say, you know, who did Vladimir Putin kill? And, of course, you'll have the normal list of uh, accusations uh, that he poisoned Litvinenko Yanko with uh, Polonium-210 in uh, a sushi restaurant in Mayfair in London a few years ago. There's that one. Or he killed this female journalist uh, who was critical of the government. And uh, what else did he – oh, Boris Nemtsov, opposition leader. Uh, Or opposition party, one of many parties, but uh, who was uh, gunned down in the back, uh, just coming off the bridge across from Red Square. And all of these things have been attributed to Putin, basically. So according to Marco Rubio and U.S. senators and every media operative in the mainstream, Vladimir Putin is, he kills opposition leaders, he murders journalists, and he killed uh, Litvinenko, okay? Okay. So if you, I don't want to get into the idiosyncrasies of each of these cases, but they're all interesting cases, but they're by no means uh, implicating uh, Vladimir Putin in any of them, okay? In the case of Liffin-Yanko, he was also a double agent with British intelligence, so he could just have easily been knocked off by the British or the Americans. And if you study the spycraft game, you'll know that that's a, a plausible scenario in some cases. Certainly it's happened in the past where one country will murder somebody in another country in order to have it blamed on the government of that country in order to discredit it and to fuel the opposition. It's happened before. Just ask our friends at the CIA. They've made a career out of this for the last 70 years. So, you know, you you can listen to O'Reilly or to Wolf Blitzer or Jake Tapper or some of these people, uh, Or you can go study history yourself and get the real story and get a little bit closer to the truth or a lot closer than these guys are bringing you, which is a mile away. Uh, But that's interesting. So say what you want about Trump. And um, he's he's uh, I'm not in agreement with all of his policies, nor nor will I be. I'm sure I'm going to be at odds. Okay, and I'll give credit where credit's due. And in that case, I give him credit for speaking the truth. You can argue if you want or not. If Obama had said that, it would have been a, a whole cheering section. People with rounds of applause from the left. Oh, Obama, he, he's he's telling the truth. If Trump says it, he's being anti-American and pro-Putin or pro-Russian. Ridiculous. So, you know, I'm just pointing out some of the inconsistencies here. And I'm going to Say something else in closing here. This is probably the last thing that uh, that I'll cover. So I saw something that kind of shocked me, but it woke me up. You know, And we talk about identity politics. And I saw a segment by Chuck Todd from Meet the Press this morning on CBS. This is a mainstream wrap-up show. And he was talking about the fact that uh, uh, Nordstrom's is not carrying uh, Ivanka Trump's uh, fashion line, whatever it is, jewelry, I don't know, shoes. And he was saying how this, how Nordstrom's sales went up after that, and how there, you know, a lot of liberals and Democrats uh, shop at Nordstrom's, and it's been good for business for them to kick out the president's daughter, and all the rest of it. In general, I don't really care about this story, but I thought it was interesting how he covered it. Go ahead and roll this, and just listen closely to the message that is being sent by this mainstream media operative, which is basically a corporatist. He is; they're injecting a corporatist uh, themes into people's lives in America, trying to bind politics and corporations and brands together and you know everyone's at this this is the business of uh, of the 21st century right but listen to this and then i will give you commentary afterwards go ahead and roll that
3: traffic to the nordstrom website went up 28 percent the day of the president's tweet and nordstrom stock closed up 4.1 percent the same day it may not be surprising given nordstrom's customer base according to simmons research both Nordstrom and Nordstrom Rack are in the top 10 list of stores where people who describe themselves as liberal shop. In fact, folks living in the top 100 counties that voted for Hillary Clinton are more than twice as likely to shop at Nordstrom than the average American. And folks living in Trump's top 100 counties, they didn't shop at Nordstrom at all. And then there's the L.L. Bean episode. When Mr. Trump praised the company, the seven states that typically produce the most traffic to L.L. Bean's website, saw drops in traffic almost across the board. A lot of blue states there. While the seven states with the least traffic to the site almost all went up by a lot. Quite a few red states there. Many of those trends did reverse themselves, by the way, the following week. Still, big picture. Americans cast their ballots in November. But guess what? They're still voting. Only this time, they're doing so with their wallets. When we come back, those town hall protests against Republicans. Are we seeing the beginnings of a Tea Party movement on the left?
2: (laughs) Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. That was one of our predictions for 2017. The Democrats would launch a Tea Party movement, and lo and behold, they're all talking about it now. You can go back and check January 1st predictions for 2017, 21st Century Wire. Uh, So, so there's Chuck Todd, and understand the subtlety of that. Okay, they're basically, and so you have to understand the reason. There's a lot of reasons why the Democrat Party is in meltdown. Okay, or or the left in general, and one of the one, of, and this isn't this didn't just happen this year. Okay, the Democratic Party or and, and the, what they call the progressive left. The progressive liberal left; the, all these terms are all meaningless now, pretty much. They've all been co opted and uh, diluted. Okay, but what? There was a conscious decision uh, to shift from, uh, and this was a court. This was by design. Okay, this was by design. So those who think of themselves as rebels of the system on the left wing—they are completely corporatized. They are total corporate slaves, okay? They, they are slaves to brands. They are slaves to fashion labels. And this was a strategy that was deployed in the 1970s, okay, when the establishment and the corporate establishment in America decided that they had had it with labor unions and they wanted to start phasing that out. Well, they had a little bit of a problem. Because the labor, the whole concept of the labor union and having a job for life or a corporate job for life, and this was very much ingrained uh, in the Democratic Party base and the liberal uh, left wing of the political life in America. So they wanted to basically break this up and they wanted to get rid of it, basically. And so what did they do? They transferred, they promoted identity politics at that point. Then, so how did they do this? By binding this concept of the individual, which seems like a good idea on the surface, the liberty of the individual. But instead of giving them liberty, they gave them brands like Nike, or fashion labels. And they really and the whole concept of marketing and advertising became very personal personalized at that point. And so, if you look at the political left, They've got it all divided up into compartments, and I've spoken about this many times on the show. This is identity politics. So you're not a person. You're not. You're either a white person, an African American person. You're a Latino. You're a a gay, lesbian, transgender. uh, You're you're a a working class, uh, middle income, whatever. Okay, a Generation X, a Generation Y, a Millennial, uh, etc. They've got labels for everybody. They've got labels for everything, and they've labeled people. And to promote your label of who you are, you then have to adopt fashion labels. So certain, you know, certain people, black people, wear and buy these brands. They they women buy that purse. They buy that fragrance. They have their own products, and they're all compartmentalized according to uh, identity politics. Straight people buy this uh, type of clothing. Gay people will buy that type of fashion, will go to these clubs, buy that product, drink that energy drink, uh, drink that wine, that beer. Okay? It's all organized. So what they've done there they is is they've, they've obliterated what used to be a sort of a unity, as it were, uh, you know along the along left wing lines, a social unity, and they've conveniently subdivided it up into little pieces. And by doing that, by doing that, by giving the illusion of individuality as expressed through the brands, the commercial brands, the corporate brands, and getting people like Pavlov's dog to react to the adverts. For whatever company, take your pick, whatever smartphone or whatever, or now or or app. But by doing that, they've obliterated the, the true individuality of that person. And that person is not really an individual unless they have the right brands or they're, they've got the right uniform on. Then they're validated. But this is done along the identity politics lines. And don't get me wrong, the right wing have their set of products and sort of marketing strategy. But it's very different from the left. And so this is where America's at. And there you have Chuck Todd on CBS this morning, reinforcing that same corporate slave mentality. And these people all think that they're free and they have so much choice. What do they choose? What do they have in terms of choice? They haven't got any choice. They've, they've got choice of products a few products to choose from, but that's it. But they're not really individuals uh, in the the true sense of the word, in the liberty sense of the word. No, they're not. It's just an illusion. And this is what's being promoted by this system. And so this is all politics. So we saw the Women's March a couple weeks ago in Washington, D.C. And it's called the Women's March. But not all women are invited if you're a pro if you're a pro-life woman or you're against abortion you were not invited you don't count as a woman you're seen as a pariah in terms from from that group who was marching doesn't uh acknowledge those other women who happen to probably make up half the population of the country so just calling it a woman's march is a bit misleading Be like having a men's march, but only half the men are allowed to uh, attend. Be ridiculous, wouldn't it? But yet, this is what we saw. So this gets us back to identity politics. And I saw another thing that was so disturbing. And I first understood this when I saw uh, Ben Carson running for president. I I was very critical of Ben Carson, especially of his uh, lack of foreign policy knowledge. I thought there's no way this guy could could be president. He just doesn't have a clue. But but to Ben Carson's credit, he tried. He got on a plane. He went over to Jordan. Okay, not the best, but, you know, got to roam around a Syrian refugee camp for a day or something. So at least he, he, he did a lot more than all the other candidates. He tried. He's not a foreign policy expert, but he's someone who's willing to learn and study. I don't agree with his belief systems on everything, and... You know, I don't think he'd make a good chief executive, but I respect him. And he is credible in a lot of other areas, okay? But when I, when I heard people referring to him in derogatory terms, people on the left, accusing him of being something like an Uncle Tom because he's a black Republican, then at the, then the light bulb went off, and I realized at that point it became crystal clear That all of this identity politics, the system that promotes this, that perpetrates this system of identity politics doesn't care about the race or or the ethnic group. This is just a hook, okay? They don't care. It's, It's about using people to identify with these subgroups in order to harness them and herd them in order to leverage political power that's all it's about and that's proof by the fact that liberals were castigating Ben Carson because he was black because he not because he was black because he was black and running in the wrong party so he was if he'd come you know so there was no power that they could extract from this guy as a as a black republican so then they insulted him Okay, not because of his, what he said or did, but just because he's a black guy, he's a traitor to the left because he's over there with the uh, the white privileged Republicans. Okay, that proves to you that this game of identity politics is about power, it has nothing to do about the actual ethnic, and people might convince themselves that it does, and to a certain degree, they might be right, uh, in their own system closed loop system but I'm going to play you this clip and there's a South Carolina senator who was called an Uncle Tom on Twitter and something a Negro something by Democrat supporters because he is a black Republican senator I believe from South Carolina I'm not sure so this is uh, Charles Payne who's on Fox Business who I think is a great commentator for the most part I really like his reports and he's laying this out and he himself has been attacked as being a black guy on Fox. And he's, he definitely knows his stuff. Highly, highly skilled, highly credible, great uh, television pundit. But what he's describing is kind of what they, the, the same thing they sort of threw at Ben Carson. Ben, ben Carson wasn't getting any flack from Republicans for being black, he got a tremendous amount of support. There are people out campaigning for him before Donald Trump was in the race. By the way, Ben Carson had more grassroots support before Trump even announced, okay? There were white Republicans willing to campaign and back Carson, okay? So that that speaks a lot to the character of this man, that he could attract that kind of support. It had nothing to do with color. They just liked, liked him. He was trustworthy. He was a trustworthy figure, I'm going to play this Charles Payne clip. This is from Fox Business yesterday. This is pretty disturbing to hear it. I'm not surprised. It's still disturbing to hear it. But go ahead and roll this.
4: Also comments from Senator South Carolina Senator Tim Scott that will hit home for me. After voting to confirm his colleague, Senator Jeff Sessions, as Attorney General, the left voiced their displeasure on social media. Senator Scott read some of the tweets, including... Uh, Time honored words and phrases, uh, uh, quotes like disgrace to black people, Uncle Tom Scott, house Negro. He concluded by saying he left out all the ones that use the N word. If the left thinks it's hell now, their classless reaction will have them in a deeper, deeper uh, hole, one that there's probably no returning from. Joining me now to discuss Jillian Melcher. And Gina Loudon. Now, I got to tell you, uh, Gina, as I listened to Tim Scott, I got very emotional. I mean, I get that kind of junk, too, all the time. But it's really amazing that the people that say they stand for racial harmony and all that kind of stuff resort to this immediately as a knee-jerk reaction here's the thing Charles uh, and I'm so sorry that people like you and Tim Scott have to go through this it's it's despicable really it's embarrassing frankly Uh, but here's here's the good point if they keep conducting themselves with these embarrassing violent tactics um, they are gonna knock Trump is going to knock down that blue wall more than he did in 2016 and 2018 there will be landslide victories ac- across the country because who would want to be associated with people that conduct themselves with such complete impropriety right, Jillian I mean the, remember the uh, thing with the Ivanka her family on a plane mm-hmm. I mean I, this is this is really nuts I, this is the- the kind of thing that the left has always warned us about from the right they you know beware because they're gonna harm you physically or do these sort of things that are ultimately disrespectful yeah we've, we've seen bad behavior on both sides but i think since the the election concluded we've seen the left pick it up now this isn't about the right to free speech this isn't about the right to assembly because those are unequivocal rights this is about tactics and I think when they're trying to make the principled case against Trump and some of his policies, these tactics do not serve them well. It's, it's convincing the American public that they're insane. I mean, talking to my mom in Wyoming, uh, talking about the Women's March, her seeing some of the signs, seeing the hats that were worn. She was really off-put by the vulgarity of it. Um, and I, I think that's a pretty common experience. Their message isn't getting across, and this isn't effective.
2: So, absolutely correct. It's not effective. And let me ask you out there, if you, if you question that, or anybody does, how effective was it for Hillary Clinton? Was it very successful for her? I guess you don't have to answer that question as long as you can just say, well, the Russians did it, or blame Putin. But really, we're, we're, we're hitting the core of the issue right now, you see. The facade of identity politics is crumbling it's being exposed. And if, if the, the Democrats or the so-called what's the left or whatever progressives, if, if they're going to be, um, they're not going to get back into power uh, in the next election on the current trajectory they're on. It's not going to work. Um, if they do, uh, what kind of a country are we inheriting? What, a country where everyone has to be labeled according to their color, race, and that that provides you with your political identity? Is that the America that people want to live in? Is that a happy place? Just look at it now. Look at it now. It's not about color. It's not about race. It's not about gender or sexual orientation or religion or anything. It's about political power. They use these things to hurt people, and then they leverage the crowd in order to get votes, to get into power, to enrich themselves and make their careers in the great bureaucratic machine and the various industrial complexes. That's what it's about, folks. It's what it's always been about. And it's what it will always be about unless people start waking up and rejecting this. Get to ideas. Let's talk about real policies. Let's talk about efficacy. Let's talk about ethics. Let's talk about the Constitution. Let's talk about all of these things. This is where the conversation needs to go. The sooner we ditch identity politics, the better off everybody is going to be on the left and the right and the middle and everything in between. That's it for this week. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Thank you to our guest, Kavork. El-Mazian, fantastic segment. If you missed that, you want to go back and listen to that. If you're just tuning into the live broadcast now, that was a absolutely stunning segment we did early in the show. That'll be up there on the, on the site after the show. But if you want to support us, look, subscribe and become a member uh, at 21Wired.tv. Uh, we are expanding. We've already got new contributors. We've got new reports coming in. I think people have been paying attention to seeing this. So the process has already begun. And uh, we've promoted a few people, you might have noticed as well, uh, in their positions. And so we are in the process of growing. We need your help uh, to make that happen. If you're listening and you like this show, you want to support this show, you want to support the work we're doing, become a member. Subscribe to 21wire.tv. Any level of support we appreciate. And go to Shop 21, amazing t shirts. Uh, some photos I've been getting from some amazing places uh, wearing our T-shirts. We're going to hopefully post those on social media. Anyway, take care, everybody, and tune in to Patrick Henningson Live on Wednesday on ACR. I've got a special guest uh, lined up that I think people are going to absolutely love. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week.
0: been called off. It turns out that the early reports were wrong. All wrong. Now for that group out there that had such a hard time getting home, sorry about that. I guess the only thing we can do is play you a song.
2: Henningsen, host of the Sunday Wire, and you are listening to the Alternate Current Radio Network. Visit shop21wire.com. Check out our online store with special deals on official 21st Century Wire merchandise, including men's and ladies' t-shirts. Also, check out our 21st Century Wire stationery, desk notebooks, iPhone covers, and DVDs of live talks. And for Sunday Wire listeners, enjoy your Sunday java in style with our official Sunday Wire signature coffee mug. Subscribers and members use your special promo code to get 20% off every order. Support 21stCenturyWire.com, click on Shop 21 Wire, or go to www.shop21wire.com.